Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition, and we have a very special show for you today. Today's show is a live talk coming to you from the Secrets of Successful Syndication Conference in Dallas, Texas. And on today's show, we're talking about the principles of raising capital. Under certain circumstances, raising capital can be extremely difficult, and then at other times, it feels relatively effortless. Enjoy today's talk on the principles of raising capital. Put up your hand if you're uncomfortable asking for money. That's excellent. You should be uncomfortable asking for money. And I'm going to reframe that question, and I'm not just being clever with words, but I never ask for money. I offer people the opportunity to collaborate with me on a project. Doesn't that feel a whole lot better? Along the way, I started my career in the tech industry actually designing microprocessors. I've got processors in all kinds of weird and wonderful applications all over the world. Seatback displays on Airbus aircraft. I've got a chip in the Patriot missile, storage networks from Hewlett Packard, Cisco Wi-Fi access points, the list goes on and on. And I learned to raise capital in the tech industry, raised a few hundred million dollars, carved out IBM's embedded microprocessor division, did five M&A deals, one IPO, And when I transitioned into the world of real estate investing, I relearned the process of raising capital. I thought it was different. And I discovered that it was exactly the same. And that was actually the impetus to write the book. I discovered that when raising capital is easy, there's a certain set of principles that are play, and they all come together rather seamlessly. But when one or more of those are absent, raising capital gets really difficult very quickly. So that's why I wrote the book. As Robert said, I host the Real Estate Espresso podcast, a daily show seven days a week, episode 1900. I can't believe it will be in a couple of days, uh, so that's kind of cool. Show's doing really well. Love to have you as a listener and to be, uh, have part, be you part of that dialogue on a daily basis. Raising money, well, like anything, there's three things that you need in life. doesn't matter what it is. Often people make the mistake. They say, you know what? I've taken the course, I've gone to the workshop, I've got all the knowledge, I'm all set. And I'm sorry to say that's not enough because after all, everyone has, everyone's got access to Google. Why isn't that enough? You could look to Google for answers. It's not enough. So you need the knowledge, but it's one out of those three things that you need. The second thing that you need, you'll run into those folks, those life coaches that will tell you, you need some mindset. You go out, you're, you're, you're messed up in the head, you gotta go get some mindset. You gotta develop the emotional fortitude to deal with things when things get tough. And that's true. You need that as well. And I'm sorry to say that's not enough. The third thing that you need, and this is the game changer, is you need to be in the right environment. That's what actually changes it. If you wanna hang out, if you wanna be a world-class Olympic skier, hang out with Olympic skiers. If you want to be a world-class figure skater, hang out with other figure skaters. Why is it that all the elite figure skaters in the world train out of two ranks in Canada? They have ice in Japan, I'm just saying. So it's, it's because they need to be in that environment. And that's the same for you as well. So you need to look at your relationships 
and see are, if you want to be a developer, are you hanging out with other developers or are you hanging out with high school friends that play Xbox on the weekend? That's something to examine. So congratulations. You're in the right room. You've got, this is that right environment. If you go hang out at Starbucks, I'm the weirdo at Starbucks, but when I come here, I'm home. What is it that I do? I build stuff. Apartments, senior housing, uh, do land development, storage, bunch of different things. Love new construction. It's been a natural progression over time to go from building small things to today, this is our largest project. It's almost 1,800 acres. The perimeter of that project is seven miles. We haven't walked it yet. It's, it's an extraordinary property. But every step along the way, it's been a natural progression. We didn't start here. So I don't want you to be intimidated by that. Just like anybody, I started with a single property. I'll show you that property in a moment. We've won some awards. We built an assisted living project and last year won the Senior Housing News National Architectural Design Award. We don't go into this to win awards, but we did this because we wanted to build a superior product. Whatever we do, we view it through the lens of product design. It didn't matter whether I was working on a chip for Cisco or what have you, I always look at things through the lens of product design, designing something for a specific customer. And this is no different. So it's really aiming to do good things, to create value every step of the way. That is, to me, that's what gets me energized in the morning. This is my very first investment. A one bedroom condo within four blocks of parliament. I live in Ottawa, Canada. And I took a business approach to this business as well. This was back in 2006. There was a, red, a steady stream of folks coming through the national capital region, parliamentary staff, embassy staff, military officers, and the government seems to spend money in six-month increments, so a 12-month unfurnished lease was of no use to those folks. Airbnb didn't exist in those days. So I figured out what the price point was, what was the housing allowance, and could I deliver a product at that price point that would be compelling? And the answer was yes, and it turned out to be a good business. It wasn't a great business, but it was a good business, but taking a very business approach for a very specific customer. There's a theme here. You notice that? It's figuring out who your customer is and delivering a a product for that specific customer. So we're here to talk about how to raise money. I can tell you from firsthand experience, having raised money in the tech industry, that it is way easier to raise hundreds of millions of dollars to buy an existing business or a business that has a proven track record than it is to raise five million for an idea. It's absolutely true. Now, when you raise money, it's because, and you do it successfully, it's because there's five principles in play. And if you hit every single one of these, raising money is remarkably easy. And these are the five principles. This is the core of the book, Magnetic Capital. I'll go through them quickly, and then I'll go through them in detail. So the five principles. You've got to have relationship. You've got to have trust. You have to have a track record. A couple of folks have already talked about that. You have to have a compelling opportunity. This is where most people start. I've got a deal. Man, have I got a deal for you? And it's never, ever about the deal. And then you have to have alignment, that alignment between the goals for the money and the goals for your project. And if you don't have that perfect alignment, it's not going to fit. It's going to feel forced. Okay, so let's go into these in a little bit more detail. Let's talk about relationship. Have you ever been to a networking event? Put up your hand if you've been to a networking event and you've run into that individual whose job it is to collect as many business cards as possible, right? I don't like the word networking because it has a utilitarian feel to it. 
Put up your hand if you like to be used. Yeah, nobody likes to be used. And if you have money, your guard is up automatically because you know people want to develop a relationship with you for one reason, one reason only, and that's because you have money. Well, guess what? That person doesn't want to be used any more than you or I do. So don't use people. Dave Zook talked about that very eloquently. It starts with genuine relationship. And genuine relationship follows a natural progression. I mean, if you think about it in terms of a romantic relationship, you know, two people might eye each other across the room and then maybe go out for coffee and go out on a date, see a show. And many steps along the way, they might get together, get married and start a family. But if you skip even a couple of steps in that natural progression, it goes from a natural relationship to creepy in a heartbeat. Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, right? So don't go to creepy. How often do you run into a situation where someone friends you on LinkedIn or Facebook and then they're immediately soliciting you? It's creepy. So don't go to creepy. You get different things from different relationships. You've got to give to a relationship. You might get introductions. You might get access to opportunity. You might get advice. You might get a friendship. You might get credibility. You might get access to capital. But if you walk around looking to see who has dollar signs on their forehead, you're using people. So don't do that. The second is trust. And this isn't just, are you dealing with an honest person, although that's foundational. There's a psychological contract of trust, and it has a lot of layers to it. It's questions like, can I trust you to put together a good plan? Can I trust you to hire the right people? Can I trust you to execute the plan? Can I trust you with my money? Can I trust you to communicate in an open and transparent way? And on and on and on and on. And if any one of these is missing, it chips away at the trust fairly quickly. There's a wonderful book that I'm going to recommend. It'll change your life, not just in terms of business, but also in terms of personal relationships. And the book is called The Speed of Trust. And it's written by Stephen Covey's son. You've probably heard of Stephen Covey, Seven Habits. His son, Stephen M. R. Covey, wrote this book called The Speed of Trust. And there's a clue in the title that when the trust exists, decisions happen quickly. And when the trust is missing, that's when you get, well, we might need another three weeks to complete our due diligence. Now, if you're dealing with an institutional investor, they have a process to follow, and that's natural, and it's going to happen every time. I'm not talking about that. But if you can make a single phone call and get a quarter million dollars in your account by five o'clock, trust is there. And when that trust is there, it happens quickly. So this is a second foundational piece. The third, which relates to trust, is results. What's your track record? Show me that you know how to be successful. Show me that you know how to recover when things get difficult. Now, you might be thinking, well, how am I going to raise any money if I don't have a track record? How can I get a track record if I can't raise any money? I'm stuck. This is a circular argument. But the thing to remember is that this is not like your grade three math test, where if you collaborate with your partner, that's called cheating. This is a team sport. So if you don't have that track record, track record go find someone who has that track record and align yourself with them. I've done this my whole career. Even in the microprocessor industry, when I went to raise a couple of hundred million dollars to buy IBM's business, the division out of IBM, I knew I didn't have the track record to do that. I hired my boss who had run the automotive division for Motorola. He had the track record. I took him in tow with me 
to Wall Street to go raise the money. So don't let your ego get in the way of that. Go work with someone who has the track record. It doesn't have to be for a decade. It can be for a period of time. And now you can borrow some of their track record because you've earned it legitimately. Next is you've got to have a compelling opportunity. Like I said, this is where a lot of people start. I got a deal. It's never really about the deal, but you have to have what is a compelling opportunity. Now that's a little bit in the eye of the beholder. What is compelling to you? What is that image on the magazine cover beautiful? That's well, a little bit in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? For one person, that might be a medical office building at an 8% cap rate. For someone else, it might be a storage facility or a mobile home park. It's different for every investor. It's got to be simple enough to understand. The deal kind of has to sell itself. I'm going to show you an example that honestly any donkey can sell. It didn't take me. It needed someone like me to put together the right team. That's critical. But the deal itself, any donkey could sell it, honestly, because the deal was compelling. But it wasn't the deal that sold the deal. It was everything else around it. One of the strategies that I love, absolutely love, and you've probably heard me talk about this before if you've heard me speak, and this is the strategy called buy on the line, move the line. And so what is that line? That line is that arbitrary line that exists in every city in America where on one side of the line you've got that hot gentrified neighborhood and then you go a couple of blocks too far and you're in the hood. You know, picture your home city and I know you have that line somewhere. Now, if you redevelop that line just on the wrong side of that line, put a little bit of scale behind it, well, guess what? The line has moved. It's now on the other side of your building. And you can do it again and again and again and again. That's one line. And that works. It's a wonderful strategy. There's another line that we also work on, and that's what I'm going to talk about today, and that is municipal boundaries. For example, here in Dallas County, there's 35 separate municipalities used to be more. At one time, there were over 200 separate jurisdictions. It's, there is a bit of consolidation happening. It introduces a lot of complexity, but it also introduces opportunity because you can have situations where you want to have a piece of land annexed into a municipality and you're dealing with multiple levels of government. If you're willing to go through that brain damage, and get that figured out, you have opportunities that other people will leave on the table. You'll be the only player. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes frustration, it takes a lot of tenacity, but there's substantial value to be unlocked here. I'm gonna talk a little bit about the land use multiplier. The value of land is tied to what you can do with it. If you look at agricultural land, most places in the country, it's anywhere from three to 10,000 an acre. As soon as that land starts to become entitled, and of course, assuming the demand is there, that development land, you can start to put a residential subdivision, something like that. Now you're into a couple hundred grand an acre. You start to get shovel-ready land where you can build houses. Now you're almost half a million an acre. And if you can put a high-rise building, again, of course, there's gotta be demand. Now you're into the millions per acre. It's the same dirt. But what you're allowed to do with it changes the value substantially. So you can get a big, big, big multiplier. You're not looking for the market to go up 2% this year or 4% next year. You can create value by changing land use. And I'm talking by big multiples. So this is a project that we're doing right now. We closed on this land last October. It's a total of 1,783 acres on the edge of Colorado Springs. It's sandwiched between the airport and Shriver Air Force Base. 
which is Space Command. When we hear on the news that the Ukraine is getting intelligence information from the United States, it's coming from that property that's about a mile from this particular Norris Ranch. This is a storied property. It was originally 20,000 acres. Mr. Norris was the Marlboro man in the cigarette commercials. That's, that's the history of this property. And we purchased the last remaining piece. You can see our site plan layered on top of the satellite photo to the west, which is the traditional eastern boundary of Colorado Springs is the airport. That's those runways that you see on the left-hand side of the image. And then to the right of us is Shriver Air Force Base or Space Command. This will eventually be 8,400 rooftops. It involves building arterial roads, collector roads, infrastructure, pulling utilities three miles. We're on our fourth revision of the master plan that will be submitted to the city uh, in a couple of weeks. We bought this land for 10000 an acre. Post-entitlement, looking at about 200000 an acre, shovel-ready about 400000 an acre. Do the math. This is, an, this is a compelling opportunity. It's an absolutely compelling opportunity. For some investors, it's not a fit for them. They say, I don't do land. Okay, cool. No problem. We don't want to ever get involved in a conversation with an investor where there's any part of it that feels forced ever. It's got to feel like a natural fit. If that natural fit doesn't exist, then don't take the money. It's not going to work. And this is what gets us into the very last, the very last piece. And that's alignment. Alignment is like a pair of shoes. And it was actually Robert Helms gave me this analogy. I love it. You can find the most beautiful pair of shoes. And my gosh, it's your lucky day. They're on sale. But if they don't fit, you're not a buyer. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are or how deeply discounted they are. If the shoes don't fit, you're not a buyer. When we talk about shoes, everyone gets it. But then we talk about money, about money and people get all weird about it. But it's exactly the same. Because money has an agenda. Money has goals associated with it. And if those goals don't match the goals for the project, it's not going to work. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by alignment? I'll come back to this slide. We're talking about the size of the investment. How much money do you want to put to work in a single deal? What's the term of the investment? How long is the money going to be locked up for? Do you need the money back in six months? Or are you happy parking it for 10 years? Those are very different. What's the liquidity? Can I get my money out if I need it in an emergency? What's the rate of return? What's the tax consequence? What's the control structure? What's the risk? What's the security? And on and on and on. And you have to have alignment on all of those, not just some of them. Now, often when you're dealing with unsophisticated investors, they're not very clear on what it is that they want. Well, I want to make money. Okay, good. I got you a dollar. What else? The more sophisticated investors are extremely clear on their criteria. And they will tell you, and they'll give you a fast no, which is ideally what you want. Because they will say, nope, doesn't fit my model. Perfect. You're not wasting their time, and they're not wasting your time. The last thing you want is a long, slow, protracted no, where you've invested a lot of time. And guess what? If you go through that process, you're going to feel bad about it, and they're going to feel bad about it, and it's going to make it much more difficult to have a subsequent conversation with that individual about another project because that first conversation was so painful. So rather have the fast no and say, if I, now that I understand your criteria, 
if I have something that I believe fits your criteria, are you open to seeing it? Chances are they'll sell you. Chances are they will say yes. The other thing that investors want, especially in today's environment, is they want certainty. Something that, frankly, none of us can deliver. Who would have thought that the global economy would get shut down for two and a half years back in 2019 when you were getting ready to gear up to do new business? Like, who would have thought? Completely unthinkable. Who would have thought that we'd have a global run on banks? Some people actually foresaw that, but most people didn't. Most people didn't. So we do live absolutely in uncertain times. Now, you have to have on your team the resilience and the expertise to be able to navigate through that. So how do you get good at this? Well, number one, you got to practice. We raised, I don't know, $33, $35 million last year. It's not huge. We're not at Dave's level yet. But we do this day in, day out, and it requires strong systems. It requires a strong team. It requires communicating regularly with investors. This is a business with processes. It's not just going out and hoping to raise money in the marketplace. There is, this is systematized if you're going to be doing it at a high level. You want to become part of the right community. Guess what? A lot of those folks are here in the room. Join the syndication syndication mentoring club. That community gets you in that right environment. Maybe get a coach, get a consultant, someone who can help you with that. Uh, Bethany and Mauricio and their legal team have a tremendous amount of experience. We use them on all of our deals, and they, they give us a tremendous amount of advice. And you want to attend more events like this, so you get around people that are doing this on a daily basis. And that's it. Thank you. Here's Mr. Robert Helms.